Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear God in heaven, grant to us that this word that you have given would anchor in our hearts and our souls, that we would be transformed now into the future and forever in your sight, we pray. Amen. Please be seated, and if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to Revelation 21. You have heard the whole chapter now. I read the first part of it. Jerry read the back part of it. Last part, I thought about reading uh, and preaching on the second part of the chapter that Jerry read, but then when I looked at it, I realized I couldn't pronounce most of those stone names, uh, so instead I have Jerry read it, uh, which worked out. I want you to imagine, if you would, with me, uh, that, uh, a ro- road trip. Imagine that you're on a long road trip. Now, how do you feel? I realize, by the way, that not everybody enjoys travel, Uh, So you're going to have to work with me here a little bit on this one. But, uh, okay, so you're on a long road trip. How do you feel? Well, I suspect that some of it depends on the destination. If you're off on a vacation and you're going to go with your family or meet up with friends or something along those lines and you're going to spend some good long time just hunkering down, having a fun time together, the road trip is great and you're enjoying the travels. It's a wonderful experience. But if your destination is, say, the funeral of a loved one or a challenging time at work or a crisis in the family, the trip is entirely different. Now, the destination isn't the only thing that makes a difference on the trip, but it sure makes a big difference. Kel and I, uh, thank you to everybody. Kel and I were able to take a vacation a couple weeks ago, and we uh, drove, well, we built around a long road trip. So we took this long road trip, and as we were going, the gas prices spiked. There was traffic all over the place. There was difficulty getting into different places that we were shooting for and stuff like that, and the weather was terrible. And Kelly commented over and over again, you're so happy, you're so happy, you're so Yes, this road trip was great, regardless of the potholes on the journey along the way, because the destination was so outstanding. The destination was wonderful that it made the journey just terrific. And of course, the Christian life is supposed to be shaped exactly around that understanding. 
The scriptures do a great job of articulating for us what the promised destination is for every believer. And that destination shapes dramatically the way in which we go through life on the journey that is before us. It shapes everything knowing the destination. We are wrapping up, this is our last week, in looking at the Apostles' Creed. Now the idea again of looking at this is that I believe that the Creed is a great summary statement and eight short little phrases about what the scriptures teach for us to believe. Now in that, I wanna take that word and emphasize it again two different ways. One, it shows the content of the things in which we are supposed to believe. Christianity is a religion, it is a faith, it is a way of life, it is a worldview, it is an understanding of this world where there is actual content involved. There are things to believe. But also, that what we believe is that which shapes and molds everything in which we do. So the faith is not just something that we uh, checklist intellectually that we hold on to, but also into which we trust and how we depend and where we lean. And nothing is gr better picturing that than the very last line in which we're looking at today, I believe in the life everlasting. I believe in the life everlasting. Now, like the whole rest of the creed, and pretty much the way in which language has functioned right up until a couple of decades ago, when you affirm something positive, you are implicitly rejecting other things. And when the creed was originally fashioned, and certainly when the scriptures were originally put together with the understanding of the way in which they affirm different statements like the eternal life for the believer, there was explicitly certain things being rejected when they held to the affirmation that we believe in the life everlasting. We're rejecting other ideas. Now, one of the popular ideas that was functioning around the time that the creed was originally put together to summarize the biblical material was the idea that the afterlife was some kind of a shadowy existence. There was, for the select few, a full-blown, everlasting life, kind of like what we would picture as Christians. But for the majority of people, the afterlife was just some kind of a vague, morose, sad, shadow kind of an existence. And you would look upon it with a certain amount of horror, unless you were in that select group that got to go to the good spot, the everlasting life for much of Rome was not something you would necessarily yearn for. My guess is that you're gonna rarely run into people today that hold that kind of a view. Rather, we're more likely to run into the view that has been popularized in the East very much so, that when you die, your eternal life is basically becoming one with the many once again, or you become one with the whole, or you, you kind of merge into the essence of the universe as a whole, kind of become one with the force or something along those, those kind of lines. Now, that's not necessary. That probably wasn't in the biblical writers' minds when they wrote this. There weren't a lot of places that asserted that kind of idea. Um, but certainly we can see how that would apply, how our affirmation as Christians that we believe in the life everlasting opposes that kind of a nirvana kind of a description of the afterlife. 
We, however, probably run into something that was very popular or becoming popular at the time in which the creed was put together when the scriptures were being written as well. And that's this idea that at the end of life is kind of the end of life. Death is the ending of your existence. That you live and then you get to the end and you die and basically you cease to exist. This was a, an idea that was becoming very popular during the early biblical era and immediately afterward. And when the Christian church got together and said, what does the scripture say about eternal life? We believe in the everlasting life. Was stuck in the creed specifically to reject this idea that the end is the end, that it's just the nihilism, that we are just ceasing to exist, or something along those lines, and capturing over and over again what the biblical material says. If that's true, then eat, drink, be merry, live your life any way you want, because at the end, it's just the end. The wisest person in the Old Testament, Solomon, writes that clearly in Proverbs. Isaiah picks that notion up, the strongest prophet in the Old Testament, says, if there's nothing at the end, eat, drink, be merry. Jesus himself uses that in the proverb, in a parable, as he talks and he says, if there's nothing past this, eat, drink, be merry, and die. And then, of course, Paul uses this explicitly in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians when he says, if there's nothing beyond this, if we have no hope beyond this, then live your life that way because the destination shapes the journey. Christians, I would beg you to consider well the destination that the Lord has in store for you for it will vastly impact the journey that you take of this life. So if we reject those things in our affirmation, what are we affirming? Well, we are affirming the everlasting life. We're affirming life everlasting. Okay, uh, everlasting, what do we mean by that? Everlasting and eternal both kind of come from the same understanding of the Greek word, the biblical word, both Old, Tes Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. Both use a term that sometimes gets translated as eternal, sometimes gets translated as everlasting. Eternal this is to get philosophical for a second, so if you want to zone out, go right ahead. Uh, philosoph uh, philosoph uh, eternal kind of means outside of time. So picture time as a, uh, a, a timeline or something like that, a pencil on the ground. If you're eternal, you're outside of time and you're looking at time on the pencil. And a lot of people have the idea that when we die, we're going to be taken up into heaven or something like that, and we're going to, and then for all eternity, we will be outside of time looking at a pencil. Everlasting on the other hand, means goes on and on forever in time. Now, both concepts, everlasting and eternal, kind of get the picture of, of forever life. Um, but everlasting emphasizes that we remain in time as eternity moves on, as, uh, as the ages go, go forward and ever. And the affirmation of the creed is that we believe in the life everlasting. We believe that we will remain in time, creatures in time, as things move on and on and on into the future. Okay, if you zoned out, come back now. So, 
The idea here is that we believe in the everlasting, that is ongoing life forever, but we believe in the ongoing life. This is what separates us from that Roman idea of this shadowy Netherlands existence. No, we have life. So many of us, I'm sure, have uh, had friends or family members who towards the end of their life uh, lose the capability of of uh, having lots of function and stuff like that, and maybe they're constrained to a bed or to a bedroom and stuff like that, and they, they begin to lose their ability to, to live. And we often talk like that. We often say, what kind of a life is that? The promise of the Scriptures is for the believers that we believe in everlasting life. We believe in this ongoing thing that will be life. What is life? Life is that for which God created you, the fulfillment of the purpose in which you exist. That is what is ahead for you, an everlasting life, an ongoing fulfillment of everything that God intended for you to have. So many people ask the question, well, what are we going to do forever while we're up in heaven? Are we going to be sitting on clouds playing harps the whole time? How long can you do that? You know, we'll all get really good at it, playing harps and stuff like that. You are going to be fulfilling without sin the purpose for which God intended for you to exist. Consider well, my friends, the destination that God has in store for you because it will vastly shape the journey of this life. Now, part of the reason why talking about the eternal life is hard to nail down is because, frankly, the scriptures portray the, the, the idea of eternal life in metaphor and parable so often. Now, there's a good reason for that. The reason is not because the reality is less than what is being described, but rather that the reality is so much more than what is being described. Again, if you read through the passage that Jerry read for us and include the text that I read early on, if you look through through Revelation 21 and 22, you get the picture. I saw a couple people while Jerry was reading close their eyes. I don't know if that was intentional or if they were going to sleep, but I, I, I saw them close their eyes, and that's exactly what you should do when this text is read, because the point is to experience, to be overwhelmed by what the Scripture says about eternal life, not to nitpick it, not to say, okay, what exactly is each one of these steps going to look like, but rather to have that sense of that awe and that experience of what the destination holds. Again, imagine you're on this road trip. What are you going to do at the destination? Uh, And you're going for a vacation or you're going for a a lot of time. It doesn't matter the details. You know you've got that great destination ahead of you. And that's what's captivating. That's what shapes the journey. Not the specifics of, oh, on this day I'm going to get up and do this and then we'll go to here and then we'll do. I mean, that's important. But ultimately the journey is shaped by the fact that that destination is ahead of you and it is beautiful and you just, you you don't know the specifics but you know a little bit of what is ahead. And this is what's portrayed for us in Revelation 21. If you grab your Bibles for a second, look at the beginning here, verse 21, sorry, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. And then I saw, so this this is John being shown a vision by God, by an angel of the Lord, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. A new heaven and a new earth. Now, there are some people that think what we're talking about here is that this earth, the one in which we exist, is destroyed. God takes all of the believers away from this earth, destroys this earth, creates something brand new, and sticks the believers in there. Okay, I understand that thinking, but I think if you look at the scriptures carefully and well, where Paul is talking about the groaning of all creation, waiting to be released from the bondage of sin, where this idea of newness, something can be new in a couple of different ways, and there's two different Greek words for it. One Greek word talks about a newness that says, hey, it's a brand new thing, it's newly created. You know, so you create a brand new world or something like that. That's a different kind of new than the word that's used here. The word that's used here talks about quality or a freshness. This is the way that, you know, you get a haircut and you say, oh, I feel like a new man. Uh, or you lose 10 pounds, or you get a new suit or something. I feel brand, I feel new. That newness does not feel like I've been created new, but rather what has been has been reworked, refashioned, shaped brand new in such a way that now everything that was distasteful, everything that was wrong has been removed, and the new has come. The new is before us in every way. This is why getting back to that everlasting idea, we remain created human beings into all eternity, resurrected people. We talked about this last week. So that our bodies remain into eternity, into that everlasting state, because the world has been made new. The world has been renewed by the work of God. And you can pick this up a bit at that last line where it says the sea was no more, what is a sea is no more? Why is there no more sea? The, remember, the Israelites were a mountainous people. Uh, and, and for the Israelites, the sea was the source of chaos. It was a source of evil and wickedness. In the book of Revelation, the dragon is over the sea. The beast of, of Revelation comes up out of the sea. The sea is this source of evil and wickedness. And the world is renewed in such a way that all the evil... All the wickedness, everything that is bad has been taken away and removed. And so you get this new world in which God has created. And I saw in verse 2, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The bride of Christ. Now who is that? Okay, we've got a new city coming down out of heaven, and Jerry read all about the new city, and you're tempted to think that what we're talking about is a building, is a bunch of buildings, a, a city with a wall around it and a whole bunch of cities and stuff like that. But consistently, this city is identified with the bride of Christ. Who is the bride of Christ? It is every one of us. It is the church. It is the followers of Jesus Christ. And what do we hear here about this bride of Christ that is being pictured as coming down out of heaven? It comes down of heaven from God. This highlights the key aspect of what the Scripture portrays for us of eternal life, of everlasting life. What, what are we going to be doing? What's the focus of eternal life? 
It is the fact that we exist because of God. We have everlasting life because of God. We come from heaven because of God. The emphasis of eternal life for us, we ask the wrong question when we're saying, what are we going to be doing? It's not a wrong question, but the Bible doesn't answer that question. The Bible is answering the question, why do you have everlasting life? What does everlasting life look like? It looks like you have come down from heaven, that you are coming from God himself. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Anytime the loud voice speaks, that's always God, by the way. And, and it's always God not, not anticipating something, not commanding something. In the scriptures, when the loud voice comes from the throne, this is a definite. This is God has acted. He has made this sure. This is the promise of everlasting life for each and every one of us. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Uh, the, the, what sin has done, what the sea symbolizes, what that old order that has been passed away, all of what that is, has been removed, has been taken away, so that what now is possible that God would dwell with his people. What is everlasting life? It is dwelling with God. It is having him present in every possible way. And listen to how it's phrased, that we will be his people. Uh, the imagery there is his hand closing in around us, that we are being not just identified with the Lord, but rather that we are being grasped and held by God. But equally so, he will be your God. You also are grasping, are holding, are, are possessing him as he possesses you. You are possessing, we are holding on to, grabbing a hold of our Lord. That's what it means that there is everlasting life for each and every one of us. Finally, in verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All right, what is this? This is the great comfort of our Lord. And why will we have that great comfort? Because death shall be no more. There will be no more crying. There will be no mourning. There will be no more pain. Why? Because our Lord has taken all of that away. The old order of things has passed away. Brothers and sisters, consider well the destination that God has in store for you because it will vastly shape every step of the journey of your life. Jesus himself speaks clearly about this when he gathers his disciples together so that they can hear him pray and talk to the Father. In John 17, Jesus, writes these, uh, Jesus says these words, this is eternal life. All right, so we're about to have eternal life defined by none other than Jesus himself. This is eternal life, that they, that us, 
that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is your destination, that you would know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Not know it intellectually, not know it from afar, but as Paul writes, that we would see him face to face. Consider well the destination that the Lord has in store for you, for it will shape everything that you do. Lord, bless us with an ongoing, growing awareness of that destination, of, of the promise that you hold for us, that the future that is held forth and secure for each and every one of us is eternal life, everlasting life, knowledge of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, seeing you face to face. Lord, make it so more and more into our lives, we pray this day. In your Son's name, amen.